0: Welcome to Battleground. Today is Tuesday, June the 8th. And um, wow, there's so much going on as usual in Washington, around the country. We see Kamala Harris um, maybe has caught the same uh, contagious disease that Joe Biden has, but uh, she doesn't know where she is. She claims that she has visited the border. Uh, Obviously, that's not true. She's been laughed out of Guatemala. The uh, crisis at the border is ever so rampant and, uh, and, and important and, and needs uh, a, a lot of time to go over and dissect. But today we're going to have a, a good friend of ours, a good friend of the shows, a true American patriot, um, retired Colonel, United States Marine Corps, Dave Jonas. Join us. He's going to talk to us a little bit about, or hopefully a lot, about the failed foreign policy of the Biden administration, the Iran deal, the situation in the Middle East. We just saw the whole place blow up. We had been talking about this off the air in the past, and uh, you know who, who better than to do that? Hey, hey um, Dave, thanks for joining us. Um, we tried to get you on the air last time, and man, it would have been perfect because everything you said on that uh, on that attempt uh, ended up coming true. Unfortunately, uh, we had some technical issues and and lost the show. So I apologize and. And thank you for coming on the show again and, uh, and and wasting your precious time. Thank you for having me, Ivan. It's great to be back with you. Absolutely. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about your background? Because I always do a terrible job doing that. So you're a retired <laughs> Marine colonel,
1: right? Right. Forward. right. The, my last assignment, of uh, my, my 20-year career in the Marine Corps, was as nuclear nonproliferation planner for the Joint Chiefs of Staff. So I learned there about uh, dealing with the international atomic energy agency all the nuclear agreements nuclear non-proliferation who the the bad guys were where the problems are uh negotiated uh you know at the conference on disarmament in geneva the iaea in vienna the un in new york uh regarding the uh, nuclear non-proliferation treaty and uh after I retired from the Marine Corps, I became the general counsel of the National Nuclear Security Administration, which is about half of the Department of Energy. They've got now, I think, about a 15 to $20 billion budget. They make the nuclear weapons for the, for the U.S., the, the naval reactors for the Navy's nuclear powered ships and subs, and they also have an international nuclear nonproliferation mission. mission. Uh, right now, I'm a partner at the law firm of uh, FH&H in Tyson's Corner, Virginia.
0: Awesome, you're a stud, man. You're a true patriot. Um, too bad we, uh, too bad we couldn't get that previous episode on the air, man. I just wish, uh, God, that would have uh, that would have made us both famous, man. Uh, <laughs> Predicted the future. So, since we can't do that, why don't you walk us through a little bit of what's going on in the region? We had talked about. It, it's amazing, you know, the the carry situation, the 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 Iran the deal why the Abraham Accord was so important to the region, um, et cetera, and what was going to be happening around the world with U.S.'s, um, you know, with, with, with our enemies testing this administration probably way before the end of the year. And lo and behold, five or six or a week later, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the situation blows up with, uh, with
1: Israel and Hamas, right, and, and, and Iran, really, right? yeah well uh you you've asked about a 20-part question (laughs) i've been so and i always
0: do that by the way you know me
1: (laughs) (laughs) so so let me just uh let let me sort of go back to the 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 beginning and uh you know in the trump administration obviously these abraham accords were negotiated and regardless of how one looks at that it it, it's a triumph of diplomacy to to have uh the, the the the, this peace-declared and formal diplomatic relations established between uh, Israel and, and these Arab capitals, which is which is great. Um, what's troubling to see is that, uh, you know, the Biden administration has done several things recently to sort of denigrate and downplay the significance of the Abraham Accords. And of course, remember that what, what's driving these Abraham Accords is not just a newfound love of these Arab states for Israel, but, you know the states. States have interests, and those interests are eternal. And right now, the Arab states see an alignment of of uh, the region against a potential hegemon in Iran, particularly with them with them getting pretty close to a nuclear weapons capability. And so it's that is what's driving them together. And uh, Saudi Arabia has been uh, dist. In a number of ways, by the current administration, they've um, uh, put out, ordered the report on on the murder of Khashoggi to be released, which of course is really uh, just poking them in the eye needlessly. Everybody knows what happened there; it's no secret. Right. Uh, downplaying the significance of the accords, backing the Palestinians much more than Israel in the recent—I uh, uh, don't want to call it a war, but the the. the more than a contretemps, uh, you know the the, the the missile launching, and um, unfortunately, of course, our media plays it as as very one-sided event where the poor Palestinians are being picked on by Israel, and nobody talks about the several thousand missiles that that uh, that are unguided, by the way, that that are that are essentially aimed at civilian the civilian population of Israel, while Israel, uh, you know, strikes back with. Precision strikes, where they warn the people first to get out of the the area before they bomb the the Hamas headquarters. So it's it's kind of a, a, a you know a crazy cauldron over there. But it's uh, it's very troubling to see us now angling to get this uh, Iran deal back on the table when there's virtually no uh, impetus for us to do so. There, there's really not a oh, whole lot a of. Benefit
0: that? What's the purpose behind that?
1: Well. It, <laughs> It's a very interesting question. Um, sure. the, the the Iran deal, even when it was uh, consummated, and of course, let's remember, it, it was not a legally binding deal. Congress had no say in it. It was simply a handshake agreement, uh, not, politi- not legally binding, merely politically binding, which means it's simply a matter of policy that, that could be changed in a day by a new administration or by the administration that made the deal, either way. And so, so to, to say that that was so essential that we've got to bring it back, of course, look, most people fall on either side of the divide. They either think it was a great deal or it was a lousy deal. I happen to think it was a lousy deal. I was one of those who vocally uh, opposed it uh, through a number of speeches and, and certainly in writing a number of articles. And, um, and, of course, I continue to do so. I've written several articles in The Washington Times recently. Because the Biden administration is seemingly interested in bringing it back to life, now that's an interesting thing to do when Iran is, has violated the provisions of the agreement uh, serially, and one never knows whether they consider themselves subject to it or not. They right. they are they are routine serial violators of legally binding agreements. Even so, to really think that they're gonna uh observe a a simple promise uh is is kind of um uh kind of a fantasy the interesting thing is of course iran is already legally bound by the nuclear non-proliferation treaty that all nations in the world with the exception of uh, india israel pakistan and north korea are subject to they, they already have a legally binding agreement not to make nuclear weapons so why you know why should we need this additional agreement to keep them from getting a nuclear weapon, even though that's their clear intent? So it, it's it's problematic from any any number of viewpoints.
0: Amazing, and um, what one of the um one of the things that we saw was, and you talked about this how Israel reacts versus Hamas is they warn everybody to get out of the way we're coming down we're going to bomb it and. You know, the whole scandal or fake scandal, I guess, but the scandal that, you know, the media pushed was the bombing of the AP building. Right. Um, it's been known for a long, long time that Hamas has been hiding there. Um, AP has known it. And and it's strange how they say, wow, we we, we never knew, you know, who, who was in the building the um, it, it, it's it's a little bit hypocritical, right? Do you think Iran... I mean, do you think uh, Israel is finally getting fed up with all this stuff and, and is actually going to do something about it? And that's kind of a two-sided, you know, two-pronged question there because we're seeing, you know, the current situation in Israel and how is that going to play out now, right? Because with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, I think that was the... I think that was what was happening, right? He was it looked like he was fed up. He's been there for a while. Um, they play these games and, and it seems like they're finally going to go maybe take some action. Right. And we had talked about it in the past. Will they take some action unilaterally against Iran or not? And it seemed like that was the case. And then all of a sudden we have uh, a change in direction over there. Right.
1: That's right. And, and mil from a military perspective, of course, non-proliferation typically deals with the legal and political and diplomatic ways to stop proliferation. What we're talking about here is, is counter-proliferation, which of course, Israel is the only nation that has exercised that option. They, they took out the Iraq uh, Bushir reactor long ago, uh, and uh, which was just sitting all by itself. They bombed it, that, w- that was pretty pretty quick, and, and they were subject to international condemnation for doing that. In 2007, they also took out Syria's al kabar reactor that was built with the help of our good friends, the North Koreans. And uh, they uh, when that was taken out when Israel bombed that secret site that was well hidden camouflaged and no one knew what it was Israel's uh, intelligence found out and bombed it the curious thing was not not a peep from the world not even from Syria so so you know a curious difference between those two counterproliferation measures however that that reactor site that was uh, configured to produce uh, nuclear weapons material was also at a single site. Now, Iran has learned from both, unfortunately learned from both of those examples and has uh, uh, spread out their nuclear program, their nuclear weapons program, uh, which they claim, of course, is purely peaceful. Mm -hmm. They have hardened hardened it and deeply buried it underground, under mountains. They've surrounded it by uh, anti-aircraft, uh weapons which of course everyone does with a peaceful nuclear program as we know, uh, you know That's right. always, always you're surrounded by anti-aircraft material it's it's just crazy that anybody could really believe that that iran that is sitting on a sea of oil that has no need for nuclear energy wants to spend the billions and billions of dollars and become an, an international pariah and serially violate u.n security council resolutions in order to pursue uh, simple nuclear power it's quite obvious they're after something else they're already enriched their uranium up to 60 percent and the uh, ram deal itself limited that enrichment to 3.67 percent. they're way above that they're entering into the weapons grade uranium enrichment territory and it's quite clear that they're they're uh, they're on the road to a nuclear weapon and in fact i read an article today quoting our secretary of state mr blinken Saying that uh, he believes that there are several weeks now from uh, attaining nuclear weapons enrichment capability and therefore breakout. So that's that's a huge problem. So the question is Is Israel now going to take any counterproliferation measures? Because there's no question that Israel is not going to accept a nuclear weapons capability in Iran.
0: Will they act on it though? I mean, how, how does it change? with uh with with the political situation over there affect Israel. well
1: it's tough to say i mean obviously there's been a lot of low-level uh (laughs) hits on uh assassinations of nuclear weapons scientists hits and fires there's been stuxnet which is rumored to be a us and israeli uh uh uh, cyber worm that was uh used a number of years ago uh and, and they're the largest iranian ship just caught fire There's there's all these mysterious accidents and problems happening in Iran now, not to mention that their economy is is almost being ground to a halt by the sanctions, which are finally really becoming effective and showing teeth. So this is exactly the wrong time for us to let up on the sanctions and to try to bring Iraq back to the table. Now, President Biden has said that if we are to reenter this Iran deal, that Iran must come back into compliance with the initial deal negotiated by the Obama administration. That in itself is a great red line. And if they hold to that red line, that would be a good, a good reason to consider getting back into the deal. The problem is the Obama administration, which negotiated this original deal, didn't hold to its own red lines, which were equally important, such as no enrichment, no reprocessing, if, uh, and full inspections and open inspections, if uh, Iran was gonna, going to proceed with this. Eventually, of course, we fell off both of those requirements, those red lines, and went ahead with the deal anyway. We were so desperate to get the deal. And of course, this, this, this shows that the United States often does not exhibit the most uh, strategic negotiating posture by often putting all of our cards on the table and then saying, ah, you know, we were kidding, and we'll, 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 we we want the deal anyway, even if you don't observe the red lines.
0: So let me ask you a question, because everybody's wondering this, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but, you know, it has got to happen, right? So, um, Dave, why is the left so adamant about helping Iran? And it almost seems like they are very openly against Israel, um, or at least Bibi Netanyahu, Right.
1: Yeah,
0: Um, it's it's something that's very, very, very bizarre. Considering that is our number one ally in the region,
1: and Uh, the only democracy in the region, of course. Exactly. It's. I have answer answer to that.
0: What is the answer? I mean, are they just anti-Semitic assholes, or (laughs) you know, is there something else that us stupid people don't understand? I mean, help us understand, Dave. Because I'm telling you, 74 million Americans don't get it.
1: Well, I'm one of them, and I'm also a Jewish American, and I, I, uh, and I don't understand for the life of me why so many other Jewish Americans are supportive of the, the, uh, the Obama administration and now the Biden administration, which are clearly operating against Israel's best interests. And it's curious why why anyone would want to give Iran billions of dollars, which are then simply going to be funneled into their intercontinental ballistic missile program. And remember, Iran can already hit Israel with its missiles. They don't need intercontinental ballistic missiles to hit Israel. That,
0: that, that's coming at that's coming us, right?
1: They're coming at us. That's right. That's the only, We're the only possible target for intercontinental ballistic missiles. And though that was one of the key weaknesses of the deal. It didn't deal with Iran's production of intercontinental ballistic missiles didn't prohibit them from making nuclear weapons.
0: And why, uh, why, didn't they, why didn't they include ICBMs when that is the clear only reason for their existence?
1: Well, the stated reason of the Obama administration, and I can, I can appreciate this, they, they said that um, the deal was hard enough to make as it was without throwing in additional things. Well, that's true, but where something is such a critical element of a deal that you need Uh, both ICBMs and their support for terrorism in the region and internationally, uh, it seems to me that it would be worth negotiating into the deal. It's not like it's impossible. You can put it on the table. It's just that Iran ruled it out and we said, oh, okay, you don't want to deal with that. We we won't negotiate it, but it should have been in there and it could have been in there. And if they do another deal, it should not be going back to the, the old deal it should be a new deal that would be freshly negotiated with these important provisions in it and it should also be legally binding um with a role in it for the u.s senate
0: and that's where it should go right i mean uh but it, it, th- this administration has clearly showed us dave that um they really don't care about any legislative process they think they can uh you know, uh, governed by executive fiat and, um, and, and I don't see that changing, right. Especially now that we saw Manchin and, you know, and, and, and the other Senator, um, you know, not side with the Democrats to eliminate the filibuster and to, uh, federalize, uh, you know, national elections to steal elections, you know? Um, so I, I don't know, man. Um, I think, uh, I think we're, we're hoping for too much for them to try and in- involve the Senate and get the Senate's approval. But in lieu of that, what can be done? can anything be done?
1: Well, there's a number of ways around the Senate, uh, neither of which are great. Uh, I wrote a paper not long ago, which looked at all arms control deals over the last, uh, you know, since the nuclear age, uh, which included, you know, heavy uh, arms control issues involving, for example, chemical weapons or biological weapons. These were all put through the Senate, the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty, the Nuclear non Treaty, all of these received Senate advice and consent to ratification. Um, so there's no reason why a, a you know, a, a deal of this kind of international import should not go through the Senate. The problem is, and both parties have recognized this, in a 50-50 Senate where you're talking about advice and consent to ratification under the Constitution, you need two-thirds of the Senate. You need 67 votes. Yeah. And in today's poisonous political atmosphere, neither party can get that. And I think Obama Recognize that. In fact, it was Kerry that said, look, there's no way we can get this thing through the Senate. That's why we have to do it this way. In fact, that is not a reason to do that. Clinton, I think, may have realized that problem with the CTBT, and yet yeah. he did the right thing. He put it through the Senate anyway, and the Senate rejected it. And this, so be it. That's the, way you're, that's the way it's supposed to work. You're not supposed to then figure out how to do an end run around the Senate and its constitutional role. However, well, there are... Well, you're, you're a lawyer too, right? So...
0: Is that even legal?
1: It's absolutely legal, yes.
0: No, but that the, like like the the, the Iran deal and, and and possibly the one they're gonna push through it. You keep on saying, and a lot of people on our side saying it's non binding. So non binding means you know it's it's not worth the paper it's written on, but is it legal? Uh, I guess the answer would be no, right? Because if it's not binding, no. it's not it's not a legal document, it's just paper
1: no it's it's binding it's just politically binding in the way in the way that a handshake is it's not legally binding that doesn't mean it's not legal so those are important distinctions
0: so can you explain uh, that too so people understand that because there's a lot of arguments and a lot of stuff going around all over social network and it drives everybody crazy because I, everybody I, claims to think they know what the hell they're talking about so
1: we have an expert listen and please learn so agree. true. Uh it, you're absolutely right. There is a whole lot of misinformation and, and misunderstanding about this. So let me, whenever I talk about something on an international level, I'll try to explain it. And I teach a class in this in nuclear nonproliferation law and policy at Georgetown and George Washington Law Schools. Uh, I try to take it to an individual level first. In other words, if you're ma- if I'm making a deal with you, Ivan, and we shake hands on it it's a binding agreement we've made we've made a commitment to each other but it's not a contract it's not written down it's not legally binding but our personal honor is at stake here and we have we we're bound by this this deal and men of good character are going to observe a handshake agreement although we could change the, the that agreement any day it's not in writing you can't go to court to enforce it so if I pull out of the agreement, you can be upset with me, but I can say, hey, look, it was just a handshake. And 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 I, you know, I'm pulling out of it. Mm-hmm. And that's lawful. And you can't run to court to enforce it because it wasn't a lawful contract, binding, written, you know, signed, everything else. That's what the Iran deal was, just a handshake agreement. It's binding, but it's just politically binding, meaning that you know, the administration that makes the deal is not going to break it, but another administration could. Right. The reason reason why the Obama administration elected to go with that route was because they knew they couldn't get it through the Senate. Now, they had one more option that they could have considered. The president has, under, under his executive authority in the Constitution, the ability to do executive agreements. Correct. Executive agreements, that strictly deal with international law and having nothing to do with anything on the domestic front can be legally binding. Um, if, if if there can be it, it get, this gets very complex, but depending on existing legislation, there can be ways that Congress can weigh in on it without do without doing the advice and consent and the, uh, you know, the 67 votes for,
0: for... Also under national security, right? I can't remember what section that is under, un- under the Constitution. He's got some authority over that, right?
1: Well, the president is commander-in-chief, so right. certainly under, under his Article One authority as commander-in-chief, normally the president, the president is also entrusted with, with the conduct of foreign affairs, normally delegated to the Secretary of State. and in, con- in this context, the president played a significant role himself. And uh, and and the president therefore has the ability to conduct international negotiations and make these kinds of deals. If he wants them to be legally binding, as we as, as most people call treaties, the Senate must approve by giving right. its advice and consent with sixty-seven or more votes, two-thirds of the Senate.
0: That was perfect, man. I appreciate that, and hopefully everybody now understands and has learned the difference. Because, man, I got to tell you, it drives me crazy. Uh, hearing all these experts. Oh my God. It's just, it's madness. It's, it's absolute madness, but uh, (laughs) I'm glad you're on the show Dave. (laughs) So what happens next? So we talked last time about something that was very serious and, 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 you know, and, and, you know, now kidding aside and, and, uh, and looking at the bigger picture, um, Biden's foreign policy is very dangerous, very different to President Trump's foreign policy. You talked about the United States government, the United States military having the ability in the past to fight multiple wars. Now its ability is different. uh, What some of our enemies are probably going to be looking to do. So take it away, please.
1: That's a great point. And I don't think, um, look, you know, the United States if you remember under the Reagan administration with Navy Secretary Lehman, we were shooting for a goal of a 600-ship Navy. Now, we're under 300. Now, there's no question that our ships today are much more capable than they were back in the Reagan administration or back in World War II, where we had many more ships. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, you know, as, as uh, Lenin or Stalin said, quantity has a quality all its own. There, there, it does matter if you have 1,000 tanks instead of 10 highly capable tanks and 300 ships is just not enough to cover the world anymore and that's what we're trying to do we've got a rising China that is threatening us they' they're they're claiming ownership of virtually the entire they're, they're, they're saying essentially the South China Sea is their, their own lake and they're 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 pushing everyone uh, they're pushing the Philippines they're pushing Japan South Korea uh, they're threatening to attack Taiwan nope. you, you, you can't defend that with just a few ships over there, and, and remember that the United States sent sent its fleets into the Taiwan Straits a number of times in the past when there was a crisis with Taiwan. Right now, China has so many missiles, and they have carrier killer missiles that could uh, could sink a carrier. Um, that for us to sh- to sail a fleet, uh, you know, or an aircraft carrier through the Taiwan Strait would be would be suicidal right now. That's not what we're going to do. We do occasionally send ships. Out that way in international waters as a freedom of, of uh, navigation exercise, but it's not threatening anybody. Uh, but nonetheless, China has declared an air defense identification zone over the entire area, and uh, is is threatening anyone who comes through there as if it's their own waters when it's clearly international waters. It's pushing a lot of states uh, to our uh, into our embrace, which is a good thing. We finally awaken to the dangers of of China right now, and that's that's all to the good. The problem is that there's four problem players out there right now, China, Russia, Iran that we've already talked about, and North Korea. It used to be back in the days of uh, Colin Powell as, as Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff that, that the American military was capable of fighting two major regional conflicts or MRCs. Now we're barely able to fight one. And my nightmare scenario is that China, China moves on Taiwan, or Russia moves on the Baltics, or North Korea moves on South Korea, or Iran moves on Israel. Yep. And we have to get engaged in any one of those scenarios. At that point, my worry is that the other three will all make their moves.
0: I was about to say, because what happens if all four go at the same time? Because that would be strategic for all of them to act together. And uh, at that point, what do we do? Just uh, sit back? the popcorn and look because we can't engage in all of them right no and if we we try and divide and take all all, all four of them on at the same time we'll be decimated in every theater right
1: that's right it's a big problem it's a major problem and of course we don't want to have to say oh well i guess we'll just have to launch nukes well uh, you know that's not a good answer either we we don't want to be the first to use nuclear weapons they haven't been used since 1945. uh you know nobody talks about using nuclear weapons except Russia. And of course, China is building up its supply. And obviously, North Korea is building its supply. And obviously, Iran is getting close to its own capability. That's it's a very true. dangerous world. It doesn't seem that way. But um, we haven't, remember, we haven't fought a peer f- opponent now uh, in, in years and years. And we've configured our military to fight, essentially, a poorly armed, poorly trained, poorly educated band of ragtag, uh, uh, Afghans and and uh, Taliban uh, and and Iraqis and and it's just you know and we could be, we couldn't win those wars I I I would know and and why is that There's a million reasons for it but you know again I don't ever say that we've lost those wars We didn't lose Vietnam My version of losing a war is you know if the if the Iranians are marching down Pennsylvania Avenue Okay we lost that war right. but but you know, we failed to accomplish our goals. That that's essentially we didn't lose the war. We don't lose battles with these guys. But it's it's a big problem. And how we would react to all four moving at once, I think only uh, you know, we can only guess. I'm sure the Pentagon has plans for that. I mean that's I was a Pentagon planner in the nuclear nonproliferation sphere. There are going to be they better have a plan for that. I haven't yeah. seen it. I, I I certainly don't know, but they better have a plan for that because there's no question that there's a lot of uh, collaboration between those four.
0: Amazing. And, you know, so, so just taking that into consideration, the Trump administration beefed up spending in the military by, by, by billions, right? Um, what was it? I think over 700 billion a year. Um, that must have helped a lot, right? Coming from The yeah.
1: um and the Biden administration, I think, has recently pr- proposed uh, a 716 billion dollar budget. If I'm if I recall correctly, now of course Congress is going to change that around to some degree. They have different priorities, um, but it's a it's the message it sends to the world is that it's it's a flat budget. In other words, it's not going up. And when you factor in the pay raise to the troops and the uh, you know inflation and the repairs that, the, that have been deferred, uh, it's it's really it really reflects a military budget going down. Now, I'd like to see us be able to handle our military responsibilities with $720 billion, which, of course, is beginning to look like a drop in the bucket compared to all the trillions we've been spending. Yeah, yeah that's but, what I was saying. Why don't
0: we just drop a trillion dollars and get this over with, you know? And um,
1: <laughs> well. Uh, well it, 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 it troubles me to see us spending the trillions that we, of course, we don't have Correct. Um, on all these other, these other things. I mean, you know, if, if something can't go on, it won't go on. And, and at some point this is going to bite us, whether it's through hyperinflation, through a depression, through, through some other um, mechanism, but this just can't go on. You can't go on further and further into debt trillions of dollars is something we can't even wrap our heads around. And it's very troubling.
0: Yeah, no, it's insane. It's absolutely insane numbers. So you were saying last time that uh, you thought that one of these four would test the Biden administration probably sooner than later. Um, We also talked about something that was interesting and I I kind of put that on the back burner, Dave, for you to address whenever you're ready. Uh, But here's another point is we really haven't had an attack on our land in is a long, long time. Pearl Harbor, maybe? Uh, I don't know. We've been attacked after that, I don't think, right? Um, do you think somebody would uh, w- w- would try that outside of Iran, of course?
1: No, I don't think. Uh, first of all, no. we're the only country in the world that has the capability to launch an attack across the globe. Uh, no other country, for example, could have done a desert storm. China really doesn't you know, is barely there in terms of its amphibious lift capability to take Taiwan, uh, and Taiwan is just right across the Strait. So, so it's, uh, you know, we we are the we are still the the sole superpower. I really believe that, but okay. it's becoming more and more tenuous. And the fact of the matter is that I really don't think that we are ready for peer to peer conflict with a with a you know a heavily armed. Uh, modern military like china and now russia have china of course is now has more ships than we do and and remember they're only concerned with their corner of the world when we yeah. still have international security responsibilities it makes us much much harder for us to compete head-to-head peer-to-peer with a china that uh you know has all of its armaments and all of its troops and all the ships and planes right there
0: yeah yeah what about russia though how real how real is that threat and you know, is, it, would that be a conflict we uh, we 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 would take on alone? I don't think so, right? I mean, NATO's still there. Uh, we still have our allies. That that thing's still intact, regardless.
1: Yes, NATO is still there, and of course, uh, uh, Article Five of the NATO treaty is is pretty vague. You know, an attack on one is is considered an attack on all, but it doesn't. There's no guarantee that we will, we or anyone will will respond militarily. We probably would. I don't think Russia is going to attack us. Chances are Russia would attack in, in the Baltics and try to just in take Ukraine or something. one of the Baltic states before anybody could do anything about it. That is where China's hope is that it can get strong enough so we can take Taiwan before we could do anything about it. And we're certainly not going to launch a nuclear weapon after China has taken Taiwan. I mean, that's just not, not something we're going to do. So I don't think Russia will attack first. They know, look, China is is a world a world beater in terms of its economy. Uh, Russia's economy is on a par with Spain's. It's not it's not yeah. a world uh, economic power, and really, they're declining uh, demographics. They're 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 declining in so many ways. They have so many problems, alcoholism, everything. Uh, they're really they, they Putin plays a, a very bad hand of cards very well, and he gets off he gets off uh, maintaining his status as a world power and a world threat but there's no way he would make the first move. I really don't believe that. I think he would come in after we're already fighting with China or North Korea or Iran. And I certainly hope we've we've learned to stay out of land wars in the in the Middle East. Or certainly we, we're not going to have a land war with China or Russia. So, you know, most of the action is going to be the air force and the Marine, and the uh, air force and the navy in these types of conflicts.
0: Yeah, amazing, man. That is crazy. Uh a lot of information to digest, Dave. Uh we we appreciate always having you on the on you know on the show and and sharing that knowledge that very few in the country and around the world have. So it's uh it, it's 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 an honor to have you as always and I don't know any parting words you want to uh give our our president even though I think uh he doesn't know who he is or where he is half the time and he's hiding 90% you know of the time somewhere in some basement or somewhere but you know, hopefully he's listening to somebody because uh, it, it just appears like they don't listen to anybody. and um, And they're just focused on driving some radical, crazy agenda, both domestically, that hurts us. But also on the foreign policy side, I just don't get what they're trying to do. It's well, almost like they want to weaken America. They feel that a strong America or an America first policy, God forbid, like Trump had is racist or, or dangerous or bad for the world or America should be, you know, on the par with Spain, right? And, and, and not be the hegemon, right? Um, I, I just don't get it, man.
1: Well, it, it is troubling to see all this stuff about, uh, you know, the race issues being thrown at the military. You know, our military needs to focus on winning wars and killing people and breaking things and not be worried about. I mean, I spent 20 years in the Marine Corps. I never saw any racism. I never yeah. saw it. I never saw it. Uh, I, 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 never, I never met a white supremacist, so, so I, I just don't get all this. But that, that aside, um, what I would tell President Biden is, look, you're holding four aces and Iran has a pair of twos, so why, why are we the ones rolling over to quickly get back in this deal? I think that the problem is that we don't really know who's running things. In the White House right now, and it appears yeah. to be a bunch of former Obama staffers, like yeah,
0: Susan, Susan Rice and that clan, right? That that clan. So yep. Yeah.
1: along with Kerry, uh, exactly. And, and
0: exactly. they
1: want that Iran deal back in place as a as a matter of personal pride. And I wish, I wish we would focus on our national security interests rather than uh, trying to revive an old deal because it'll make some Obama staffers happy.
0: It's crazy, man. Um, hopefully, hopefully they're listening to you uh on this show and everywhere else you are because you are a true patriot you know what you're talking about and uh and and god knows you have the best interests of america and america's families you know at heart so you know um god bless you man and, and and we hope uh we hope uh you know the right people listen to you and with that i'm going to uh walk you off stage man with the only song i can play that uh that would represent the right thing for you Thank you, Thank you, Dave. I appreciate it, man. You're a stud. It's the
1: best and it's the glory. It's what you do, Ivan. We'll take care.
0: Thank you. It's
1: the Pledge
0: of Allegiance on the 4th of July. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Dave Jonas, retired colonel, United States Marine Corps, and just an absolute stud. Nobody knows it better than Dave when it comes to the nuclear stuff, Iran, Middle East, you heard him talk about a full array of things. You got to follow him. I know he's on the social medias. I forgot to ask him on which ones, but we'll get it out there and uh, And feel free to engage with him, and we'll see you guys on Tuesday. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.